0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Thank you, Josh. Morning. So, Thanksgiving, how did it go? I I was told that if you want to cut down on your... um, Christmas list, shopping list, just bring up politics at Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, it, we're, we're entering into a season that is celebrated to be about peace. And I have to admit, I, I love the Christmas season. I mean, where else can you go to the mall and hear Neil Diamond singing, Silent Night, Jesus Lord at Thy Birth. I mean, you don't hear things like that in the mall, hardly ever. And, and, and people seem to be a little bit less on edge but they've been really edgy a whole lot this last year and a half, have they not? It reminds me of the, uh, the guy who took his daughter, you know, Christmas shopping. And, uh, you know, he didn't realize it became a contact sport. And so Russell and her finally got her home and rushed her up her bedroom. And, and as he was entering the room, he saw her on her knees listening to her prayers. Heavenly Father... Forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. It, this season can be a bit layered conflict. And, 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 and what's interesting is the, when when, when the pastor asked me, what are you going to speak on? I, I said, well, I'd like to speak on uh, unity. Are you kidding me? <laughs> now, I know that sounds a little bit um, negative, but, but hang in there. I, I zoom out of the hole, okay? But we got to dig a hole first. And, and the reason I bring up this unity thing is, you know, I've been observing the church as a pastor for over 50 plus years. And, and this is an area that we seem to struggle with. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse says, don't forsake gathering yourself together, which is the habit of some, but stimulate one another in love and good deeds. That word stimulate speaks of a long pole with a pointed end. You used to use it with cattle, to stimulate them. And, and you can translate it to irritate and my wife says I have that particular gift, by the way. But the thing is, sometimes, for some reason, Christians irritate me more than non-Christians. I don't know if I just kind of give greater slack out there, or whatever it is, but I've been always amazed that this unity thing, this union thing, Christians, we don't seem to be doing that great. I mean, we got over 30,000 different denominations. That means two people fought over something and split churches, and then they fought over something else and split more churches. And then all of a sudden we've got these churches all around the globe. And it's amazing how many Christians aren't even talking to each other. And, and, and the interesting thing to me is why is this an issue? Because I'm convinced is that if we could know why, why this unity thing, this, this, this dealing with conflict thing uh, is such an issue within the church and why it needs to be dealt with each and every one of us. In our own relationships, then maybe I think we have a shot at it. Jesus, if you want to know what everything Jesus really taught, just go to uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called a Sermon on the Mount. And there probably is a compilation of, of, of all kinds of sermons Jesus gave. And Matthew puts them all together in this one, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. He introduces the whole thing, which is called the Beatitudes. The seventh Beatitude, uh, he, he says... Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, that's interesting. Blessed are, not the peace lovers. Everybody loves peace, all right? As long as you do the way I want to do, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you know, uh, me, myself, and I, the blessed Trinity. They, they, they'll, as long as you agree with me, but that rarely happens. And so, you, you've got this thing, peacemakers, not peace lovers, but Blessed are the peacemakers. And he says, for they shall be called. That, that, the Greek means they shall be recognized by people out there. So the world will recognize you if you're a peacemaker as a son of God. Now, w- what does that mean? Well, well, Jesus back in these days, they used to nickname each other in an interesting Aramaic way. For, for example, James and John, they were the two hotheads of the apostles. Matter of fact, when they were going through Samaria, Jews hated Samaritans, Samaritans hated the Jews. They weren't very kind to Jesus going through Samaria. It was John who said, Let's call down heaven and post toast these guys. So John was a hot hit. He had a bad temper along with his brother. And so Jesus himself nicknamed John and James the sons of thunder wasn't that their mom and dad was Mr. and Mrs. Thunder, is the fact that sons of thunder meant they shall be called, recognized by people as thunderous. So it will be their character. Uh, Barnabas, the apostles nicknamed him, and remember Barnabas was called the son of, Maybe remember encouragement, because the guy was just an encouraging guy. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be recognized by everybody else, as Godlike, Godlike. You see, we each and every one of us, we're, we're kids with Heavenly Father. And one of the greatest things that honors a father is when his sons, his daughters, will actually manifest what he's like, what he's into, what's important to him, his values. I have two sons. John's 48, Kent's 46, and when they reflect the values that I hold so dearly, there's no greater way to honor their their, their father. So if I'm a peacemaker, I am about the skill of creating peace, not conflict, right away Jesus says, the world's going to recognize me as somebody who has a heavenly father who's like that. Well, with that being mine, all of a sudden I understand, well, then this apparently is a big deal, this unity thing. The Apostle Paul, he writes to this church in Ephesus. Later, they're going to be mentioned in the book of Revelation as the church that lost their first love, and actually their lampstands removed. But in this letter, Paul writes to them years before, the book of Ephesus, Ephesians. He basically, the first three chapters, reminds them, don't you know who you are in Christ? You're a princess. You're a prince of the kingdom. Prepared for the new heaven and new earth. So therefore, he says, walk worthy. Just act like who you are. Walk worthy. And he does it right in the middle of Ephesians, and he does it, and he's begging. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Well, then what are the first two steps of this worthy call? He says, with all humility and gentleness, why do I need that? With patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, because I bump up against you and you bump up against me. But what's the point? Verse 3, being diligent to preserve, protect the unity produced by the Spirit in a bond of peace. Now, I want to know why is such a big deal for Paul? Why is it such a big deal for Jesus? That the way I treat you, Versus conflict, do I detonate it or do I defuse it? Am I known as a peacemaker or am I one that who just loves to stir everything up? Because the world's watching us. The answer comes right out of the Gospel of John. In chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, this is the night before Jesus is crucified. He, he's with his lugs. He's with the apostles, with the guys. And, and in about three, four hours, he's going to be arrested. Four hours are going to be basically tortured and crucified. And so they're all bummed out about this whole thing. And that's when the context Jesus says in verse 34 and 35, this command I give unto you. Now the guy's head's popped up because the word command in Tolay, Jesus hardly ever uses it in the gospels. He didn't command stuff other than the storm to stop. He didn't command, we're going to command you to have breakfast. I command you to get up, we're going to Galilee. He didn't talk that way. But all of a sudden, the night before he's crucified, he says, now this command I give to you. <laughs> and they go, huh? And you remember what it was? That you love one another as I have loved you. Well, that sounds nice. But he doesn't stop. So that, here's the purpose clause. Here's why. So that the world will know you're my disciples. They go, oy vey, what, what did he just do there? He just gave the world the right to judge you and me whether or not we are disciples of Christ or phonies based on the way we what? Treat each other, deal with conflict but he doesn't stop there later on in John 17 he's praying to the father he says, he's been praying for the apostles and then he stops He says now Lord I want to pray for those who will believe because of their testimony at that moment guess who he's praying for that's us because we believe because of the testimony of the apostles or eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. So now here's the only place in the entire Bible I know Jesus is praying for us. And what does he pray for us for? Lord, I pray as you and I are one, they would be one. Well, I like that. That sounds good. Put that on the refrigerator. But he doesn't stop. You want to say, Jesus, stop. When I, when I say Jesus, I'm going to say, this is the only mistake you made. And of course, he's going to say, are you sure you should be here? (laughs) No. But the fact is, Jesus doesn't make mistakes. And the point is, he says, Lord, I pray they would be one as you and I are one so that the world will know that I came from the Father. Oh, no. Now what did he just do? He gives the world the right to judge whether or not he's a phony based on what? The way we treat each other. Now, do you begin to see why this is a big deal to Paul? Big deal to Jesus? It's because the way we treat each other, this this diffusing conflict when it comes our way, this being a peacemaker, this the world recognizing that there's something different about us, that we reflect a father who's a peacemaker. Because if we don't, if we don't get a handle on this, folks, then the world has the right to judge that we're phonies not disciples of Christ, and that Christ himself was a phony. Never came from the Father because he didn't change anything about anybody at all. So with this as a big deal, you understand why we've got to get a handle on his peacemaking. I read the story of this uh, man who needed to borrow some money to uh, take a six-month tour of Europe. So he goes to his bank that he's been banked for years. They won't give him the, bo- the loan for a six-month tour of Europe. Well, he's ticked. So he goes to another bank. They had no relationship with. He gets the loan, comes back, buys a five-pound fish, wraps it in newspaper, puts it in his deposit box in the first bank. Leaves for his six-month tour. You see, vengeance is sweet, and when someone hurts you, it just—we learned in junior high, right? We've all taken it away from junior high. When hurt, hurt back because it feels so good, right? So this vengeance can be sweet. See, humanity is not difficult to love. It's these people. It's these people that we bump into that creates this conflict. And I've been told the secret to happiness is total disregard of everyone. But that doesn't do much for this unity thing. Now think it through with me. Who was there listening to Christ when he made the command? All men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Who was listening then? Satan himself. Who was listening in to the prayer of Jesus? Do you think he would have missed that one? When Jesus says, all men are going to know I came from the Father by the way they are in unity. So what do you think for the last 2,000 years the focus of the powers of darkness has been? See, when all those wicked places and bars out there, oh, give me a break. Human flesh, we could take care of that wickedness by ourselves without anybody. So where do you think, Satan, if you were the devil, no, I'm not calling you the devil, but if you were, and you knew what he knew because we know it, where would you have put your forces the last 2,000 years? Are you Are starting to get it? Starting to understand why Christians irritate Christians so much? Why we tend to argue and fight over the most remarkable things? I'm pre-tribulation rapture. Why? Because I want to be. But but if you're smart, you got to be mid-trip. No, post-trip. No, be pan-trip. It's all going to pan out at the end. We fight over prophecy. We fight over how you're going to baptize your babies. We fight. Listen, don't be duped. Powers of darkness have done everything to make me irritating you. Some of you are a little irritated at me right now. I can see your eyes. And it's not all me, some of it. But it's not all me. And so it is that there are forces outside of us that really want us to detonate our conflicts, not, not, to, not to defuse them. So with that in mind, is there any help in the scripture? The answer is yes. The same the apostle Paul who was so concerned about it gave us counsel exactly how to deal. Conflict's gonna bite you this month. It's gonna come around and are you prepared to deal with the conflict? Maybe you already had some at Thanksgiving. So you got a little foretaste of what the whole month's gonna be like. At the last paragraph of Romans 12, Paul says, let me give you some wisdom. And here's how he starts. Here's how how people detonate conflict. Verse 17, Paul says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Now these six little words, literally, to no one, evil for evil. Now, is that one of those platitudes you kind of go, well, that sounds really spiritual, religious? No, 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 no. Paul is brilliant. Paul is saying, think it through with me. When's the last time you got angry and your anger overcomes somebody else who was angry? So because they were angry, you got more angry and they went, oh, I like you. I don't want to be angry. It doesn't work. As a matter of fact, Proverbs fifteen one: soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up what? Anger. Why do you think when you get pulled over by a police officer, they're so polite and soft spoken, and they went whacking on your car, saying, "What are you doing, you idiot?" you would get angry, and who knows what happens? But oh, oh, aren't we going a little fast? We're so concerned about your safety. Could I have your license and the registration, please? Because they've learned anger does not defeat anger. Evil does not destroy evil. Being basically, uh, hating does not destroy hatred. All Paul is saying is, use the mind God's given you. Even though vengeance is sweet, and you get angry at me, I want to get angry back. You hate me, I'll hate you back. You do evil to me, I'll do evil back. But it doesn't work if you've lived long enough you've seen it all wisdom is is the accumulation of boy I'm not going to do that again and hopefully you live long enough to realize that's all he's saying it doesn't work well then what does work? read on verse 18 if possible so far as it depends on you be at peace with all men now Paul here does not do the um impossible He's not saying, now be at peace with all men. He can't be saying that. How do we know? Because God's not at peace with all men. And Paul's not going to command us to do something that God can't even pull off. But God has offered peace to all men. the thing he's saying, now if possible, be at peace with all men. notice what he said here just before that? Do respect what is right in the sight of all men. Do what is right. And that word right is the word kala, usually translated good. Literally, it's from the root kalas, which means attractive, beautiful. It, it turns people's heads. See, people can be so boring. And you want to know what makes you, me, people boring? The moment we become absolutely predictable. When I can play you like a puppet, you are not interesting anymore. And yet, we can play each other puppet because what is predictable? What did we learn on junior high again? When hurt, hurt back. I yell at you, you're going to yell at me. I get angry at you, you're going to get angry at me. I do you evil in return, you're going to do evil back and the cycle continues. And so the point is it's so boring because it's so predictable. And he says, why don't you try something different? Why don't you do something that is right? Call us actually attractive, where people will go, hmm. It's that whole idea of confusing people by doing something they don't expect you to do, something supernatural, something paranatural. Well, what could that be? Notice he says, verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, what's going on here? Well, they say we need to be at peace at all costs. Give away the farm. You know, there's we gonna beat you up. You don't just go ahead and let them beat you up. Anything, do anything. We stand for nothing. We compromise everything. We just, let's just get along and be at peace. No, no, no. This is the same Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Verse 34 and 35 says, You know, I came, and in every situation, it's not gonna bring peace, but rather I bring a sword. He says it begins in the family with son against father and mother against daughter and, and family problems and conflict. And yet, Jesus at the same time in Matthew 5. But he says, if someone comes and strikes you on the right cheek, what are you supposed to do? Let him hit you on the other cheek. I remember as a young man, I thought, that is so stupid. I mean, he, he, some guy's just going to pummel me as far as that goes. Until I had a chance to study the historical context of what he's talking about, in this context of these days of Jesus, all Jews, they're all right-handed. Everybody's right-handed. Well, I'm left-handed. Your dad's going to make you right-handed. Why? Because at this time, and says, well, today in the Middle East, you use the left hand for something else. Um, let's put it this way. If you go to the Middle East... Never extend your left hand. It's an insult because it's defiled because it does defiling things. A so right hand. Now think about it. Jesus doesn't say if someone punches you in the mouth, uh, turn around and let them punch you again. It doesn't say that. If someone strikes you on the what? The right cheek. Take a right hand and try to hit somebody, attack them on the right cheek. You can't. It's got to be a what? It's got to be a back hand. And what he's talking about is not an attack. He's talking about insult. When somebody hurts you, hurts your ego, hurts your your reputation, hurts you in some way, it's not about attack. So what do you do when somebody creates conflict in my life? If I want to be that peacemaker for the sake of I don't want people thinking I'm a phony, I don't want people thinking Jesus is a phony. He says, well, you do it by not setting yourself against the person who did the attack, the conflict, but against the evil itself. How? By overcoming them. How do you overcome them? Take a look again. Verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room. Interesting. Leave room for the wrath, the discipline, the punishment of God. For it is written... Proverbs, God promises, vengeance is mine, and I will bring the punishment. I will bring the justice. I will repay. So what's he talking about here? This has everything to do with fearing God. You know, we talk about, you know, do you fear God? Yeah, I fear God. What do you mean by that? I remember John, who's now, like I said, 48, but when he was six, we had him take swim lessons. It cost me 20 bucks. And I had to go to work, so I wasn't there when he gave him the lessons. At the end of that week, Friday, I, I take John to the pool where he had the lessons. I want to see what I got for my 20 bucks. So I put John on the other side of the deep end. I'll say, okay, John, dive in and show me what I got for my 20 bucks. He looks at the water. He looks at me. He looks at the water. He looks at me. And he begins to cry. His mother keeps yelling at me. You're a horrible father. Quiet, woman. John, if you don't dive in, dad's coming around, and I'm going to give you a good reason to dive in. He looked at the water. He looked at me, and he dove in. Swam underwater, came up the other side, big smile. Did it five more times. What's the point? Sometimes it takes a greater fear to cast out a lesser fear. He, he feared me more than drowning, apparently. The point is that in Exodus 2020, remember 2020 vision? Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and, and, and the mountains on fire. I mean, there's earthquake and lightning, and people are so frightened, they say, Moses, don't let God speak to us. You speak to us. So God speaks through Moses. In Exodus 2020, God says an interesting thing. He says, Fear not. For I did these things, look like the mountains exploding so the fear of God rests upon you. Now, if you're looking for a contradiction, hello, that's all in one verse. Because he says, basically, don't be afraid. But I know I did all this other stuff, so you'll be afraid. Now you go, what is that? It's the definition of respect. It's the very essence of reverence. If someone does not fear you in some way, there is no respect, there is no reverence. And as you're raising your children, you better take note of that. So the fact is, is that this balance, what what does it mean to fear God? Just because God is merciful and loving to me, that doesn't weaken my God. It's a picture of some huge seven foot two guy, busting muscles, tattoos all over, dripping at the teeth, and he's running right at me, and he's got his hands out like he's gonna just crush my bones. I'm sitting there, and there's no pool to swim in. And I'm just kind of sitting there, you know. And all of a sudden, he gets about a foot from me and he stops. He grabs me, picks me up, smiles, gives me a hug and says, you know, I love you and I'd never hurt you and I'll take care of you. Well, after wetting my drawers, I'm going to have this big sigh of, "ha!" Oh. but you know what I'm going to be feeling for that man? Great reverence and respect. It's just because God is merciful and loving. Don't you think that weakens God? This is the biggest test of your faith. Can I really believe that I can step aside when you bring conflict in my life? You hurt me, you burn me, you strike me on my right cheek. That I can step aside and I believe there's a God who's my father, who's engaged in my life, who has promised that he will bring the punishment if any punishment is needed. Who knows? Maybe I needed that hurt. Maybe God authored it so I would be less arrogant and a little more humble. I don't know. The person may be being used by God himself and I'm going to punish him for that but God knows. But it is the essence of my faith. If I want to show practical atheism well then come on I'll detonate any conflict because my way I'll bring the justice because I'm the center of the moral universe. Oops. No I'm not. Well, what about me? By faith, I step aside. Instead of detonating the conflict, I'll, I'll leave. God, you take care of this because you've promised you'll take care of it, whatever needs to be taken care of. Well, then what do I do? Well, if I don't detonate it, then I defuse it. And how do I defuse it? Last two verses. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Why? for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Now that's an interesting verse. If the guy's hungry, you give him food. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Why? Cuz you're throwing stones of fire on his head. You go How does that work? Everybody lived in a village in these days. And it was peaceful until you were attacked. When you're attacked, everybody run into the wall city. Because the wall city is where you're going to be protected by the walls. But they would then, if there was a siege, they would bring wooden ladders or some were trained to climb up. But guess who was on top of the wall trying to break down the attack? Well, they're up there throwing down rocks and boiling oil, and you've seen the pictures. The picture there comes right out of Proverbs, which talks about how do you break down someone attacking you? How do you overcome them? How do you wage peace? Well, what he says right there, is, last verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I can actually defuse conflict and attack of myself by overcoming the evil they're doing, by stopping the attack, by doing good. Okay, got it, by doing good. Good what? I'll I'll, I'll dance good no big smile what in the world is good well he tells you but overcome evil with good Jesus in his sermon on the mount summarizes the whole thing when he says what we call the golden rule remember the golden rule when he defines good he says do unto others as you would have them do unto you I live in a world where I debate critics and atheists in the university world And their big thing is that's nothing Jesus came up with. That's nothing new. You can find that throughout all history and historical writing of sages. For they'll point to the Jewish rabbi Hillel said, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to someone else. The book of Tobit says, what thou thyself hatest, to no man do. Confucius said, what do you not want done to yourself, do not do to others. The Stoics said, what you do not want to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. There it is. They said what Jesus said. No, they did not. That's not what Jesus said. If you're going to summarize what they're saying, they're simply saying this. If you don't want to get burned, don't burn. They're just telling you how to protect yourself. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus given the definition of this good. Excuse me. And what is this definition of this good? He says, whatever I do, however I want you to treat me would be the way I'm going to treat you. And so I'm going to treat you the way I would want you to treat me. Now you want to know something? That good can be implied a thousand different ways. What you do for good Maybe different for what I could do good because I may want people to treat me differently than the way you want people to treat you. But we each come up with our definition of this good by applying that golden rule. On okay, how do I overcome the conflict? Defuse it. Well, if I step aside, say Lord, if they deserve any kind of justice, any kind of punishment, any kind of discipline, Lord, I believe you're there. You're engaged, and in my faith. I'll trust you and handle that. For me, I'm going to try to defuse the attack by throwing stones over the wall, breaking down the resistance. How? Because I'm going to do good. I'm not going to be overcome by evil, but I'll overcome the evil with good. What good, Daryl? The good that I believe will be I'm going to treat them the way I'd want them to treat me to be treated. And that point, does that mean it's always going to work and defuse conflict? Has God, is he at peace with everybody? Diffuse conflict with everybody around the globe? No. But he's done everything that can be done to offer the peace. So he expects from his children. There was a prayer. A lot of you have heard heard it many times. And the prayer was by Francis Assisi. Now, it's supposed to be a sissy, but if I say that, I'll get letters. And they'll say, you're not saying it right. But okay, Francis Assisi. He, he was, uh, in the 13th century, he was the founder of the Franciscan order, and, and the prayer that he prays kind of summarizes this whole thing. As we begin this month, and like I said, this will be a month of conflict. Powers of darkness, they've got their assignments. They know your buttons. They know how to make sure they ruin this month for you. So at the end of the month, you kind of went, boy, that Christmas sure did not go well. I want my Christmas to go well. I'm anticipating conflict. You should see some of my relatives. I'm anticipating conflict. But here's the prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there's despair, some hope. Where there's darkness, light. And where there's sadness, some joy. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And in dying that we're born to eternal life. Let me say this final statement. If you could walk away with anything, it's this. The stronger will always initiate the peace. Because the stronger is concerned that they're never perceived as a phony but a follower of Christ. The stronger is concerned more so that Jesus Christ would never be viewed by the world around as a phony. But he came from the Father, changed my life. And oh, blessed are the peacemakers, because the world's going to watch and they're not going to be able to see anything more godlike than when we are out there diffusing the conflict that comes our way the stronger always initiates the peace does that make sense or do I have to come back here no 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 let's pray <laughs> heavenly father thank you for these brothers and sisters lord we begin the season what a great season people do seem to be a little softer a little more open at least a little more acquainted with Christmas and even the story of Christmas. Father, I pray this this month, this Christmas season, we would have our eyes wide open, knowing, anticipating that there will be conflict. And every time we're hit with it, Lord, give us the wisdom to step aside. Believe you that you will take care of any justice that needs to take place. And we be freed up to overcome the evil. Lord, may we confuse them with our kindness that they might see that Christ came from the Father. And we are disciples of Jesus and our lives have been changed. This we ask in the name of Christ. God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, Give today at northvalleychurch.org.